the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Today is going to be about remembering. So I want to stop. I want to call us to remember. And to remember is to not forget our story. We've got to remember our story because if we forget who we are, then we forget why we're here. It's so important that when we lose that remembrance, when we forget our history, we forget and we can't fully understand the present and our purpose in it. We've got a reason to be here. There's a reason for all of us to be here. And it's no wonder that Scripture is all over the place talking about this reoccurring theme called remembering. It's a constant theme going everywhere. Uh, God knows the gravitational pull for you and me to forget. It's just so easy. Uh, We're just drawn relentlessly toward forgetting. And I'm not just talking about why did I come into this room again, right? I, I don't know, how many of you have done that, right? And you're like, where did I put my keys? I know my keys, and looking for your glasses, they're on your face, okay, those kinds of things, right? See, God's people are always in danger of losing their spiritual memory, forgetting who we are and whose we are. This is super important. Today, I want to call us to remember not to forget because it's just easy to forget I have worn a ring on my hand for 35 years to remind me of the promises that I made to my bride. Before God, along with some family, friends, I made some promises to keep my marriage bed pure. I made promises that didn't matter whether we were rich or poor, whether we were sick or healthy. I made these promises just a reminder. I I carry in my pocket, I carry a cross in my pocket. It's just a reminder. Don't put your hands in your pocket. Don't stand by and watch the rest of the world do. Every time that I put my hands in my pocket, I go, oh, that's right. I have, I have a purpose in this life. We wear reminders constantly. We might wear them around our neck. So we remember our grandchildren's names, right? Those kinds of things, right? When raising our kids, I got to tell you, my wife and I had to remind each other a lot. Hey, we're on the same team. No matter what these little evil people over here are trying to have. You know, how they tried to divide us. Dad said, no, let's talk to... Okay, we had to remind each other, we are on the same team. We're, we're fighting the same battle, right? Okay? Well, I put calendar reminders because I need them for birthdays, anniversary dates, right? And then I started having grandkids, and I'm like, it's hopeless. Why even try? So I just throw it all onto my calendar because these are really important relationships to me. Well, last year... I worked consistently to bring reminders from this pulpit about why we're here and what we're doing. I want you to watch this video. I remember moving here in 1989 and man, I thought, what is out here? There's just like nothing out here. And it was during that time I thought, we've got to put down roots. And I remember when we first moved into our house, I thought, this is where we want to be. It just seemed like a bunch of horse property. 
I realized that being in this neighborhood wasn't just about raising my kids here. It wasn't just about having a, a house to have a roof over our head. And I looked out across the wash and I thought, look at this view. Why did God have us in this neighborhood at this time? It was about ministry. So this is Vista Canyon. This is where all that building has gone now. It's all in here. That's all gone. That's the Metrolink station right here right now. I could see it. It was clear, it was plain to see. Everything God wanted to do was right in front of us. I'm right there and Vista Canyon is in the wash. Little did I know that we would still be here 25 years later and oh, the growth, the growth that has happened in those 25 years. It's easy to be irritated by growth. We like growth as long as we're included in it. Like, oh yeah, we need to open up the valley some more so I can get another house, or we need to open up the valley so I can expand my business. But then all of a sudden, now that we're here, we go, hey, we, we really believe in slow growth. Why don't we have slow growth? We could be irritated by these things. But instead, if we can look at it with an eye to the harvest, when I look out over my view, I couldn't imagine that they could put in that much infrastructure in place to house that many people. And it's all there now, condos and apartments, commercial space, retail space. It's waiting, just waiting for more people. There's already people moving in. It's become a reality. What once was just a drawing on a piece of paper the first time I saw it has become a stick and stucco reality. All kinds of growth is happening in the Santa Cruz Valley specifically on our end of the valley, which only means one thing, more, more harvest. But in the middle of all of this, this is the sanctuary. Sanctuary is here and we're in the center of all of this growth. But for what? What does it all mean really for us? I can only think that, well, it's the one. Each one of those people that are coming is an individual that has a need. In each of our neighborhoods where we've been placed, there is the one, the one next door, the one across the street, the one down the way, where God has placed us in that neighborhood for a reason, in that community for a reason, at that job for a reason, and I would like to say it now, at this church for a reason. God has us in these places for ministry. He's got a ministry for each one of us, and that ministry happens at the gas station, at the grocery store, on the soccer field, at the baseball diamond. God has ministry for each of us. That's my daughter who has four children now. I think her youngest is probably that old. I realized that being in this neighborhood wasn't just about raising my kids here. It wasn't just about having a, a house to have a roof over our head. It wasn't about being even in a specific school district. It was about ministry. We moved in and we realized very quickly, these neighbors need Jesus. This neighborhood needs Jesus. And that's why we're here, to bring God's light here. And as our light is in our neighborhood, I realized there are lights all over the Santa Cruz Valley, in neighborhoods all over the valley, in Newhall, in Stevenson Ranch, in Saugus, in Valencia, Canyon Country. There are lights 
lighting up these neighborhoods. And we are called to the ministry of those neighborhoods. And together, we create this ministry in this community. It's bringing the sanctuary from a campus to a community. It's bringing church from a place that we meet, a location, to bringing church to a community, a neighborhood, a street, in our place of influence, on our block, at our address, where we live, that's where church is found. We are the church. We're taking church outside the building, into our neighborhoods and onto our streets. We are here to reach the one because that's part of our mission statement. One at a time, each person, that's our goal. We just need to pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers into the harvest. And I know that the answer to that prayer is you and me. We are the workers for this harvest, for this time in this valley. So that is our reminder. Who, who is the sanctuary? Why has God put this congregation in this valley since 1937. Just think about it for a moment. And again, I could talk all day about the past. I could talk about what God's doing in the present. But see, I'm, I'm constantly going, what about 2037? Why, why this long? Why has this, this congregation lasted this long? I've been in this valley long enough that I've seen churches come and churches go. I've seen churches planted and then churches just disappeared. It's like, oh, they're planting at that school and then, boop, it went away. Oh, they're in that storefront, and boop, it went away. Why is the sanctuary here? We've used the teaching times from this pulpit. We've used videos and songs to remind us of our calling, that we are loved of God, that we are set aside for a purpose, and that we're supposed to be faithfully living in this journey through life. And, and then we crossed this asphalt Jordan this morning. We've been meeting across the way. We've been in our youth facilities for months, for a year, taking over their facility. And we crossed that asphalt Jordan this morning, and I thought, well, now there's this new season in front of us. And I want us to be reminded as a congregation of why we're here. So here's the first thing is why we're here. We're here for the one. And you got that packet this morning, but I want to unpack it for you. We're here for the one in our worship. Capital O, underline, underscore, one. We are here for one in our worship, in our loyalty, in our faithfulness. Whatever we do, we want God to be centered and honored in all that we're doing experiencing intimate presence with our Abba. We're here taking our focus upward. This is what we're here to do, knowing that his purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. Look what he says. Because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So that's our priority. Worshiping God for who he is. Praising God for what he's done. This is what we do. Number two, we're here for the one in our discipleship. For those who are here. Not just information, but Formation and transformation. 
Something has to happen for those disciples so that we are more like Jesus today than we were yesterday and more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today. I'm gonna say it over and over and over again. We're taking our focus inward, pressing in to possess the very thing Jesus possessed us first. He possessed us. He said, I, I've grabbed a hold of you for a reason. I got, I got to find out what that reason is. Check out Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Look at this. All the believers are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. Watch this. These, these, these four areas. That first one, the apostles' teaching. Are we devoted to teaching? And then he gives number two, he says, to fellowship, to hanging out, to being with each other. Here, and then he gives a reason how to hang out. Number three, sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper. We're going to have communion this morning. And you know what? We have, we have a choice between Chardonnay and Merlot. Okay. It's, I just I realized there's two different communion cups. I'm like, ooh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, right? Okay. And so, but see, this is what... God has said, what is your devotion? What is your dedication? He says, well, they dedicated themselves to these things. And then lastly, he said, they were dedicated to prayer. And it just makes me ask, where is our devotion? Where's our devotion? What are we dedicated to? This is what the first believers were dedicated to. We're paying attention not just to what or how we're doing things, but why we're doing them. Lastly, we are here for the one in evangelism, for those that aren't here. We are the only organization on the planet that exists for those that aren't in the building. That's why, that's why we gather, to make sure those that aren't gathering will gather and have a place to gather. We're, our lives are like missionaries, doing for one what we wish we could do for everyone. But I'll do it for one. We're taking our focus outward and we're sharing the good news with anybody and everybody that'll listen. We know that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul poses the question. Well, yeah, Romans chapter 10. How are they going to call on him to believe in him, right? Unless somebody's going to tell. We, gotta get, we have to find that person, right? How are they going to believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how are they going to hear about him? unless somebody tells them. And how is anybody going to go and tell them unless they are sent? That's me and you. We are the answer to the prayer that Jesus had in John chapter 17. He said, you know what? There's going to come believers who will believe in me because of your testimony, and then so on and so on and so on. And here's what he said. He said, they're going to believe and watch this, walking in unity, people are going to see their unity. Listen to what Jesus said. People are going to see their unity and go, oh, Jesus must have been sent from God. Do, do you know what it means if they see our disunity? Just think about it. This is Jesus' prayer. He says, because of their unity, the public will say, oh, Jesus was sent from God. That's what he said. Because of your unity, they will say that I've been sent from God. So if they see our disunity and our backbiting and our chewing out on one another, then what does the world say? Jesus probably wasn't sent from God. Check out his followers. It's a problem for us. We are the ones being sent we are the ones to engage the work that Jesus gave to anyone and everyone who desires to be called his follower. And while the world is fully aware of the things that we are against, 
They know. They've got it listed. Oh, the church is against this and the church is against that. We're going to continue to show them what we're for. And so I want you to hear something. Today is not the end. Today is not the end. I know. It's like, we made it. Now we can just sit back and relax. No. No. This is the beginning. We are just getting started. Yeah, it it all planted in 1937, but we have been shifted, and then the Lord started building things around us, again, in the center of all of this. This is not a finish line. And people say, then why am I so exhausted? I'll get to that in a minute. But the ribbon in front of us is a starting point. Marathoners, on your mark, get set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we know the next line. We just don't want to say it. Because you know what that means? I got a lot of running I got to do. It's not just for the weekend. Today is not a landing zone. Oh, great. We finally made it. We're here. Breathe. No, this is the launch pad. We have a journey in front of us. We are tired but I think it's because we've lost our spiritual muscles. The spiritual muscle that's talked about in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. The writer says this, let's not neglect meeting together. Yeah, well, they wouldn't let us meet together. Uh, That's not what this is talking about. We've been meeting together. We have, but it's too cold, and I don't want to be outside. I don't want to wear masks, and so I'm not going to gather um, Hebrews 10.25. Let's not neglect like some people do. But here's what we need to do. We need to encourage one another. You know why? Because Jesus is coming back. Here's the problem. That when we don't gather, uh, I'll go right out and say it. We move into what's called heresy. Whoa, that's a big word, right? Heresy just means I'm believing in something that's not really true. I'm believing in something that not everybody believes in. See, when we start holding back, when we, when we put ourselves and we go, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go to the home group or to the accountability thing or I'm not going to get involved in a prayer thing or the men's thing or the women's thing or the kids thing. Or, we, start, we begin to hold ourselves back. We begin to believe things. Watch this. We believe things about God that aren't true. And because we believe things about God that aren't true, we begin to believe things about us that is not true. And then you know where it goes. You know where this is going, right? We begin to believe things about other people that are not true. That's what heresy is, believing things that are not true. And the more we stay away from God's word and hanging out, remember those four priorities? Fellowship, teaching, prayer, meals together, hanging out. The more we pull away from that, the easier it is for us to fall into heresy. Because here's what happens. Oh, you know, I'll stay home this weekend. It was just one weekend. I'll stay home this weekend. You know, they probably don't even want me to be there anyway. Nobody's going to miss me anyway. It really doesn't matter. I really don't. And, and we pull our, this is, that's, beloved, please hear me. That's heresy. That is not true. We, we must come together. And our spiritual muscular atrophy is happening to us. This spiritual muscular atrophy has caused us to lose our grit. We've lost our grit. It's the firmness and character that determines spirit. That we're like, let's get it done. 
now we go, let somebody else do it. It's what Christians would call the power of passion and perseverance. I'm going to keep going. i got to keep going. So today is a reminder. And prayerfully, today is an awakening of revival in and through our congregation. There is an increase in spiritual hunger. You can see it in our culture. All throughout our world, the Holy Spirit is wanting to get our attention. Holy Spirit saying, hey, hey, I need you to meet the needs inside the congregation and outside your congregation. We need to reach more because there is more. Wheat. We grow it all the time. And we see it in fields. But have you ever stopped to just consider the one? The one. I brought this this morning. It's a scythe. I know, you're thinking, death carries one of those. Farmers used to carry these. This is how they used to harvest. They used to harvest with these. Easy. Easy. He's like, he's going to cut himself. (laughs) They used to harvest with these, but this is an old tool. Things change. I've been, and and I know there are people who were born and raised in the Santa Clarita Valley. I got out here in 1989, and again, it all just looked like horse property. But there are people, see, I got here before the mall got here. There are people here who who, who are here. Well, I don't think anybody's been here since before this church was here. I don't know what was here in 1937 now that I think about it. But see, things are changing. And, And how we harvest and what we do to harvest changes too. And so we don't use tools like this anymore. We use different tools all the time. We engage different tools. In fact, I'm going to go over the bag of tools that you were given this morning. There's some tools for you. That's a part of engaging our culture in a conversation. You heard it on the video. In 2015, the Santa Cruz Valley released the plans for the east side. And included there's this map. But I love it. Right there in the center of the map. In the center of all of this growth. 6,277 new residences, new addresses, 6,277 new front doors, bringing 22,000 people just to our side of the valley. This is not the rest of the valley. This is just the east side. Over 4.5 million square feet of commercial real estate, industrial real estate. Hey, don't, don't feel bad. Just, just so you know. Everybody's like, yeah, there's not enough room for all these people. Listen, the 126 is getting 70,000 people, right? So head from the five down to Ventura, 70,000 people in the next 20 years. That's what the anticipated building is going on. Beloved, things are changing. And so, as Heather said, we're making room. This place is called the Father's house. Because in John chapter 14, Jesus said, you know what? I want you to hear this. There's more than enough room in my Father's house. There's more than enough room. And if it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. There's plenty of room. Well, that's what we did. That's what God did, making more room. He's preparing us for more room. Today, I want to share with you some memory tools. Again, I have memory tools. 
I, I have memory tools. I mentioned my ring. I mentioned my cross. I mentioned reminders in my cup. I need memory tools. I need to remember things. But this memory tool is found on the doorposts of Jewish homes. It's called a mezuzah. It's a mezuzah. They come in every color, shape, and size. Some mezuzah are very plain. These are wooden olive wood from Jerusalem. And they're just, they're very easy, just a little decorative on there, right? And so what happens is there are certain pieces that have to go with the Jewish custom, the tradition of their mezuzah. Now, so you know, it's not, this is not like a good luck charm. This is not like a decoration piece. This is really, a really important, once again, symbolic piece. My ring is symbolic. This communion is symbolic, right? These are all symbols, right? A mezuzah is a daily reminder. A mezuzah is a public declaration of identity and faith. This is the mezuzah that's in my house. I got this one in Israel. And this logo that's on it is what's called the grafted-in logo, represented by Romans chapter 11. Paul says, you know what? That you, have, you Gentiles have been grafted in. And so it goes all the way from the Old Testament, Moses, the menorah, to David, the star, to Jesus, the fish. So it's this grafted-in piece that says, we've been grafted into this Judaism. We're the fulfillment of what they were all waiting for. So this is my mezuzah. It hangs just right next to my garage door. When I leave, that's the entrance that I go out in. So just so you know, the Jews are really particular about these. Like you have to, they have to hang, watch this, man. I, I mean, I, I looked into it. When I got mine, I was like, I'm putting on my mezuzah. So I thought, where do you do it? How do you do it? So I look it all up, right? They go, well, first you have to put it on the right side, on the outside. And then when you put it up, you have to cock it off just a little bit. I'm like, why? And all I can imagine is the first guy that was hanging, it was like this. And they said, it has to be everybody, everybody has to do it like that. You know, I don't know. I just, it, things that go through my mind. Now, mezuzah literally means doorpost. That's what it means in, in Hebrew. But today it refers to a scroll of biblical verses that's placed inside these little capsules on doors. There are Jewish homes today that will have one of these outside every door of the house. Every bedroom door, the kitchen doors, bathroom doors, every door. And you have to touch them. For mine, it has the same scripture, but I touch it and I say, Lord, help me do this today. The mezuzah recalls the exodus from Egypt. How the lamb's blood was put on the doorposts and the lentil of the house, right? And says, hey, listen, this is a reminder that when I passed over, I want you to remember. See, God, going back to this remembering thing. That I want you to remember that last and final plague. The scroll always contains the first part of the Shema, which is a Hebrew prayer found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Check this out. Listen, Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them. Listen to this. Again and again. Repeat the things that God has told you again and again to your kids. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorpost of your house and in your gates. 
Today you were given a bag. In that bag, I want to show you, I'm hoping to give you several memory tools, all stemming from verses 8 and 9. To help us remember not to forget why we're here in the Santa Clarita Valley. It says, tie them to your hand. See that scripture in Romans? We went over it this morning. Who's going to tell them? I have to remind myself, who's going to tell them? I have been sent. This is just a reminder, tie it on your hand. I also gave you something to tie on your head. Not quite your head, but maybe your mouth. Okay. Here's the beauty about these things, and this is, this is something that I have done. I, I don't know what you guys do, but I will always ask people about those rubber bands. You ever have questions about that? Hey, what's that for? Oh, my cousin got cancer, and so we're praying for What's your cousin's name? I'll pray for her. Hey, what's that for? Oh, we're raising money for autism. Oh, really? Do you know someone who's autistic? Yeah. See, you know how these open up conversations with people? I open up conversations all the time. This tells a lot about people. You just got to ask them. Well, I, I believe people will come and ask you, are you ready to explain what, what's for the one? What's that? What's that? They're reminders that I'm supposed to be talking about these things at home, on the road, in the grocery store, wherever I'm at, I'm talking about these things because that's what the Bible told me to do. But it's that last piece. It said, I want you to put that on the doorpost. So you know what I've done? You'll get these at the end of service. I've created a mezuzah for you. And it just says, for the one. And inside the back of it, again, just a handwritten, here it is, my handwritten, there it is, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. I handwrote it, scrolled it up, stick it in the back, put it on my door. This one will actually go above my front door. Again, I, I use my garage door a lot. Beloved, we have to remember why we're here. I believe it comes down to Matthew. In the book of Matthew, chapter 9, Jesus gave us specific instructions. He said, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest, the one who's in charge of the harvest. You need to pray that he would send out more workers into the harvest. I have to believe that we are the answer to somebody's prayer. I am the answer to someone's prayer. Someone prayed. Let, let's, well, I know in my neighborhood, let me go back a moment. When I first moved into my house, my home was owned by a drug dealer. It was thrashed. It was repossessed by the government. He was also a mechanic, tried to save some money by changing people's oil in his garage, but didn't have a place to dump the oil, so he put it in the pool. This was my house. Do you know what my neighbors were praying before I bought the house? Oh, God, let a pastor move into this house, right? No, this was a drug dealer. It was a mess, and there were all kinds of shady people. They would wake up in the morning across the street and go, they would find people just passed out on the lawn. They just, it was a terrible house in the neighborhood. And then a youth pastor moved into the neighborhood, and they're like, boy, this is really weird. But I do believe that I was an answer to somebody's prayer, that God sent us to that neighborhood. God sent us to that place to be a light in that neighborhood, you are a light in your neighborhood. I hope and pray that we remember why we're here. That we remember, oh, right, God, God has a purpose for us.